Welcome to the CSB SCB podcast, part of the Canadian Society for Biomechanics. We are your hosts and student representatives, Jackie Zare and Francie Onet. Welcome to episode 10 of the CSB SCB podcast. Today we are changing the format a little bit to talk with some recent graduates of Canadian biomechanics programs. We are joined by Laura Healy and Rob Makoviak, who recently completed their master's degrees. And we are also thrilled to hear the perspectives of Drs. Heather Johnson and Anthony Gaddy, who recently earned their PhDs. At this time, we typically introduce our guests and read their biography, but given that this is more of a panel discussion, let's start by having each of you briefly introduce yourselves. So can you please share with us where you did your last graduate degree, who your supervisor was, and what your research was about? Yeah, so I'll go first. So my name is Rob. I uh, just recently completed my master's degree in biomechanics at Queen's University. I was under the supervision there of Dr. Pat Costigan, and my thesis was primarily in, uh, revolved around the uh, coordination patterns of the counter-movement jump, and specifically how those coordination patterns changed in the lower extremity based on how high athletes jump. So based on submaximal or maximal jump heights. Anthony, you can go ahead. I did my master's and PhD at McMaster University with Dr. Monica Malley. And there I focused my research generally on the knee, but I used a number of different methods. So I used some biomechanics, some medical imaging, and then some machine learning on each of the different methods to look at knee health in general. So some of the specific topics kind of looked at how does cartilage in the knee deform after physical activity. We also looked a little bit at exercise intervention. So how does bicycling affect knee joint forces and things like that. So a cross-disciplinary perspective on knee health in general. Next, we'll hear from Laura. So I recently graduated from the University of Waterloo under the supervision of Dr. Stephen Fisher. And my master's project was on rotary wing pilot helmets. And we looked at neck muscle activity with different counterweight configurations. Okay, Heather. Great. Thanks for having us, Jackie. A fantastic initiative and great chat to have with people, especially those like students incoming into new programs. It's always fun. So for me, my last degree was at York University and I was supervised by Dr. Janessa Drake. And my dissertation took many different forms throughout those four years, especially with the pandemic, which I know we'll chat about later. But primarily, I was looking at integrating biomechanics and health psychology to look at biopsychosocial modifiers of shoulder and spine musculoskeletal disorders. Awesome. Thanks for all of those great intros. And it sounds like everybody's doing a lot of interesting work. And so to dive in to some of our discussion points, this time of year, graduate school application deadlines are either approaching or have very recently passed. So to start off, let's discuss some of your experiences with applying to your most recent degree program. So when selecting your graduate and your postdoc programs, what were some of the main things either about the institution, the program that you prioritized in your decision? So I was in a bit of a unique situation in that Dr. Stephen Fisher actually taught me at Queen's University. Um, And I did research with him there and really fell in love with biomechanics. And then he moved to the University of Waterloo and I moved there as well for my master's to do it with him. So I guess the biggest deciding factor in that was him as a supervisor. I did look around at other schools as well, but I think the program talking to lab mates and other people in the program were probably the biggest decision in my mind. 
So one of the biggest things for me when I was deciding was first where it was, because I'm not coming on my own. My wife, Sarah, and I moved to California when I came to do my postdoc. So one of the big priorities, which maybe isn't always on the list is, do we want to move there? And are we both happy going there? But from like more of a science standpoint, to me, it was finding people or a group of people that could push me in the different areas that I wanted to grow in. I came from more of a rehab science and more clinical research group and background. And so I wanted to be pushed a bit more on the technical sides, both from biomechanics as well as medical imaging. There was a posting for a position that I applied to and that I'm now in that had experts in all of those. So Dr. Scott Delp from biomechanics, Dr. Gary Gold from more radiology and musculoskeletal imaging, and then Dr. Akshay Chaudhry on more about machine learning applied to those domains. And so I, yeah, I couldn't pass up the opportunity. And for me, that was a big one to find those experts in those different domains. Heather. Yeah, I think one of the first things for me was alignment with interests. So I think a little bit earlier, pre the recording of this, we were chatting about how like different postdocs take form and sometimes it's just part of a larger grant and you just basically jump into a project. And so for me, I was really hoping to chase the research that I was interested in firstly, and then also have the ability to gain new skills. Like Anthony just mentioned, I wanted more workplace experience versus a lab-based experience. So that was an important factor for me. But the probably the most important factor for me was the the supervisory relationship and making sure that I was working with someone who I trusted and could have a mutually respectful relationship with and valued the contributions that I could bring. Heather, I, I can echo those points. You know, the most important thing for me going into my master's degree was really aligning my interests with what Dr. Koskin wanted us to do. And a big part of me going into my program was just having the flexibility to explore my interests. And, you know, Dr. Koskin was always very willing to let me explore what I wanted to do in my master's. And that helped guide the thesis at the end of the day. And even uh, when I was beginning my applications, a lot of where I was looking into was very based on recommendations of professors at my undergrad that I looked up to and thought that I would be a good fit at for my master's. And uh, so Dr. Tyson Beach recommended I look into Queens for my master's and it, it all kind of worked out perfectly from there. As a few follow-ups to those answers, Heather, your postdoc is specifically at an institute as opposed to perhaps a more traditional route in another lab at a different or the same university even. Is research funding or some of the opportunities different from what you experienced in your PhD? I'll start by jumping off of what I was just mentioning, that that decision was very um, important for me as it was a necessity to develop those new skills. I gathered lots of great technical skills when we were in the lab, and that was both in my master's and PhD. But since I was interested in work-related injury and injury prevention, I knew I needed to be able to gather workplace context. So when it came to funding opportunities, I did look at the traditional routes, be that like tri-council. But I also ended up kind of looking external to that. And there's some pretty neat opportunities, be that with like my tax. And mine specifically was with WorkSafe BC. So that's a compensation board in British Columbia who focuses on injury prevention and occupational health and safety. So I was able to get one of their new postdocs, the Ralph McGinn Postdoc Fellowship. And that was meant to help support students who wanted to look at occupational health and safety. So with that being said, I do think when it comes to the funding, it's about finding an opportunity that really just aligns with your interest in projects and, and searching for those. Anthony, you've alluded to it already with your wife and moving to a different country. Were there additional things that you had to consider in your decision to move to California, like perhaps a visa or other complications that come with moving to other countries? I think Stanford does this a lot 
a lot of their postdocs are international. And so luckily they have a well-oiled machine and they had documents for where to look and how to do every step. I also think that Canada and the U.S. have a particularly good overall relationship for traveling or doing visas and whatnot. I don't know too many details, but I would say that it seems like my experience coming here was a fair amount easier than for my European counterparts. There were a number of European postdocs that started at the same time, and they had just a few more steps or maybe a slightly different path to do it. It was easier than I I expected. We literally showed up at the border with a piece of paperwork and it was during COVID when no people were allowed to drive across the border. So I was a little bit nervous about that, but we were allowed to. And I think because of that, it was one of the easiest border crossings I've had, shockingly so. Well, that's a pleasant surprise. Did any of you have a formal interview with your prospective supervisor? And if so, what was that experience like? And what were some of the questions that perhaps a prospective graduate student or a prospective postdoc should be prepared to answer? I did have a formal interview process. It was a few different steps and it was maybe, it went from a little bit more informal towards formal. So I applied, there was a call for applications. I had written application with some reference letters actually. And then the way I take it, I think I was put in a pool of people and interested supervisors reached out. And so my main supervisor right now, Akshay Chaudhry reached out and we had a half an hour interview and really just to get to know each other a little bit. He asked a bit about me and my interests, what I want to do, what I have done. And I asked him similar stuff. Um, I would say that was a little bit less formal. And then I had a second interview with another faculty member that was working with him as well. Then there was a little bit of a lull and I got then got called up for a more formal interview where I did a, an hour seminar. It was probably half an hour, 45 minute talk with questions during and after it. And then about two days of interviews with different postdocs, faculty and PhD students and whatnot in the lab. They all had different components to it. I would say the talk was clearly kind of showing what I'm interested in, what I've been working on and how that aligns with the lab. And then a lot of the little interviews were more of just me getting to know people, I thought, and them getting to know me and get a sense for it. Personally, I prepared by just reviewing each of the people's backgrounds and what their research was so we could have a good conversation. None of it was something that there's any particular hacks or any particular advice I have. Just it was be yourself, be interested which normally you are if you're interviewing somewhere that it's a job that you actually want to do. So it wasn't too, too stressful. Rob, did you have an interview? No, I didn't have a formal interview, but it was more so just a phone call, which was the first interaction I had with Pat. It was less so a discussion on research interests and and more so just a discussion of who am I as a person, who is Pat as a supervisor, you know, could we work together? And does it feel like a good fit? Because the research at the end of the day changed drastically throughout the degree. And so it was good that the student supervisor relationship was there and fit from the beginning. And so that's what we wanted to make sure of. I didn't have a formal interview. It was maybe more like Rob's experience as well, where I did go visit the university and had talked to Steve. I mean, again, it was a bit of a different situation because I was doing research for him at the time already. So we had quite an understanding of who he was as a supervisor and knew that I could work well under him. And then went to meet the other lab mates in the lab, which I think was also a really great thing to do because you can get a sense of the culture and the fit. And it's really important, of course, to have that kind of fit with your whole lab. And Heather, how about you? I did have different masters and PhD supervisors in that kind of 
hop, it was similar, I think, to Rob's experience where it was just kind of an informal conversation, getting to know the faculty member that you'd be working with. Um, When it came to the postdoc, though, even though there wasn't a formal interview, it was the informal discussions that were kind of building up before hopping into the postdoc that I think were really important, even though they're not interviews, they're you fostering that relationship maybe with a potential supervisor who can then help you start looking at funding opportunities and get those grant applications going so that you can kind of hit the ground running when you start. Awesome. So to address this question of what you considered now from the opposite perspective, was there anything that you wish you had known or considered prior to your master's or your PhD? It doesn't have to be anything specific to the program, your institution or your lab, but more broadly, was there anything about graduate school in general that you underestimated? Heather. (laughs) I'm like laughing as this is going. Uh, There's lots I wish I had known and I'm happy to sit down over a drink sometime if you want the long response. But long story short, I do wish I had known to stop and celebrate all the little wins, successes, mistakes, learning moments. I was very goal focused and, you know, getting towards the destination was number one for me. Timeliness to completion was an important factor for for many other reasons. And so that was kind of something I took for granted and didn't take the time to focus in on. I also noticed that was a little bit of the culture that I was in just being at a bigger institution that, you know, there wasn't much celebration of the team members and the accomplishments along the way. So what I wish I had known is that I should have taken the time to see the beauty and all the little steps that go along the way. I can go. I would have loved to known that I was starting a master's and in four months we were going into a global pandemic. (laughs) Apart from that, which no one knew at the time, the biggest thing that I think I would tell myself back then is that there's a big difference between undergrad, which is where you're always finishing individual assignments and then immediately moving on to the next one and grad school, which was more so of a long-term project. And the way you approach those two things are very different in my eyes. So when I came in, I started to approach the thesis like individual assignments. And I just went hardcore into it and really didn't focus on anything else for a little bit. So the work-life balance needed some adjusting throughout the post-grad degree. And so that's definitely something that I would just keep in mind when starting something like this. I think echoing what has been said now is it's a lot of work. <laughs> and and I think everyone had told me it was going to be a lot of work, but when you're in it, it is a lot and it's easy to get caught up in all the work. So yeah, just taking time to celebrate things, making sure you do have a work-life balance. I know I wasn't great at this, but I know people that were a lot better at treating it like a job and they would go to school and then in the evenings have their evenings by themselves. So things like that, I think are important to take note of while you're in the program. I love what's been said so far, and maybe I'll echo some of those comments with a slightly different perspective. So work-life balance, I totally agree. This is something I'm still trying to sort out. I don't know if I'll ever figure that one out fully. I I love the idea of celebrating the small things because I think that there are lots of different ones. In hindsight, none of it was as serious or dire as it feels like it is in the moment. And maybe celebrating some of the small things is a, a good thing there. And I'll expand a little bit on Rob's comment of going from undergrad to master's, because I think it extends then and continues in the same direction that Rob said into a PhD. I would say in the master's, you can maybe get away with some of the things from undergrad where it is typically one project and you can kind of push your way through that one project. Whereas the PhD, as many people here are aware, and we're talking before the podcast about 
collecting data at the end. It's a long haul and that four or five or six years is way down the road and it sneaks up on you. And so I think enjoying that whole ride is important and learning how to keep moving the ball for the whole thesis ahead while also having some fun inside projects is a challenge. But I think having fun on those side projects is makes it enjoyable. At least it does for me. I like getting distracted along the way. As Rob mentioned already, I don't think a global pandemic was something that any of us considered or prepared for prior to enrolling in our graduate degree programs. And so how did COVID or the COVID-related restrictions impact your experience, your progress, or your initially proposed thesis plans? We'll start with you, Rob. So COVID was majorly affecting the end of the first year into the second year. And so my major disruptions occurred near my proposal and then getting into data collections. I got actually very lucky with my data collections and how it all revolved around COVID lockdowns. And so I was able to propose during the first lockdown from March until August or so. And then I was able to get ethics cleared right when human participant collection was allowed to start up once again. And so November, December of 2020 rolled around and I had been cleared for data collection, but I knew at that point that I had to work very quickly because, you know, it was a super unpredictable time. And so the major thing that happened during COVID is that I had to squish a lot of data collections into a very short amount of time and just be very adaptable to an unprecedented situation. What was the time frame of your data collection? Like how fast did you have to do this? It was 16 participants in a month. And so that included recruitment, scheduling, and collections that usually took about two hours at a time. And that was specifically two groups of novice and elite athletes. So making sure that I got enough of of both of those groups as well. Heather, what was your experience like? Yeah, I think it's well known. I feel like every supervisor has told me, you know, a a proposal never goes as planned. So like, don't get too caught up in it. So I don't blame the the pandemic entirely, but did definitely throw a big curveball. I had completed one larger study pre-pandemic. So that had some anthropometry range of motion. It was about 170 participants. And that was kind of serving as a recruitment for the further EMG and kinematic analyses that were to follow. But that's when COVID hit. And so there was a bit of wait and linger, but being in the GTA, we were locked down for a lot longer than everywhere else, I think. And it seemed we just never left lockdown. So some of my peers chose to wait it out. I think they're like just finishing some of those studies now. And I commend them on that. Again, as I kind of alluded to earlier, me being more goal focused, I was like, okay, got to find some alternatives. I also think that's something that I learned through this is like, we're researchers, we are funded to do research, we have a ton of skills. So if you can adapt and find other research questions that you can answer, like, go for it. So that was fruitful. And everything landed for a reason. It was fortunate that I could blend some more of the health psychology certificate that I took into those biomechanics measures. And that kind of set the stage for what I'm doing now looking more at that blend between the two disciplines. And Anthony? The pandemic definitely interrupted or had an effect on my my thesis as well. The pandemic occurred about halfway through the second part of collection for my final study. So I collected MRI data and this essentially shut that down completely. And we weren't able to get going again. And it was clear that that probably wasn't going to happen anytime soon. So I was working with 
older adults mostly. I was in a hospital setting using an MRI. So a whole bunch of factors that were like, we're not going to collect this data. And it still hasn't been collected. So luckily, I love working with data that we have. And so I worked more on maybe a little bit newer method with the data that I did have. And so I was able to scrounge together an interesting paper, at least something that I thought was fun from what I was able to collect. And so I'm happy with how it turned out. It would have been great to get the whole data set, but uh, I like the result that we ended up with. I'll echo what Heather said about pivoting. It sounds like everybody had to pivot and make something out of some unfortunate circumstances. Laura, you were in a little bit of a different situation. I know you had graduated by the time the pandemic started and were working. And so can you speak to how the pandemic affected your job at the time? Yeah, so I was working at the University of Massachusetts in Amherst. So a similar thing happened while it wasn't for a degree. I was still collecting lots of data as a researcher there. So yeah, a very similar experience. I also got very, very lucky and had wrapped up a project probably like just a few weeks before lockdown when I went home for I think like six months or something crazy um, because the university had closed. So luckily I had data that I could use and write up during that downtime and then just tried to learn new programs and do things from home until we could come back and then was pretty fortunate that the U.S. opened up I guess October of 2021 and never really shut down again. So I was able to hop back into data collections and research at that point. So now having heard your experiences as a grad student, I'm interested to hear about your pathways to landing your first job. So now thinking about towards the end of your master's degree, at what point did you start thinking about a job? And can you tell us a little bit about the path to landing your current position? I had decided fairly early on, very specifically what I wanted to do for work. So going into my master's, I was pretty set on doing footwear biomechanics for a footwear company. So I was applying for jobs probably in the last four months of my master's. That might seem a little early, but I was kind of just throwing things out there to see what stuck and seeing if I could get interview experience. And I did get some experience, but didn't immediately get a job at a company. But then was fortunate enough to meet Dr. Wouter Hochheimer from the University of Massachusetts Amherst at a conference in the summer and just went up to him and asked about his research because he's done a lot of footwear research and I knew a lot of his research was really relevant to things that I was interested in. And he had an open position doing contract work for Puma. So when I was working at UMass, I did a lot of contract work working for Puma. And then this past summer, they opened a job to open a lab at Puma in Boston. So It was a pretty nice transition there that I was able just to move over to Puma and kind of do similar stuff to what I did at the university, but now I work for the company. Rob? So my experience, I was finishing up my master's and I knew that I wanted to go into industry uh, after I finished my degree. I always wanted to go into a PhD, but I wanted to take a year off from academia just to understand what life was like working as a biomechanist. And so towards the end of my degree, I wasn't actively applying to jobs, but one actually just came up out of the blue from a a connection that I had. I had made a a connection with a PhD student at Brock who knew that the uh, biomechanist position was opening up at the performance lab in Toronto. And he emailed me and was like, hey, I know you're finishing your degree. I know this position is coming up. Can I put your name forward kind of thing? And so I was like, yeah, that's great. And 
after that, I just went through the interview process with them and secured the job. And it was just something that happened completely out of the blue. But I knew I wanted to go into the industry. I just wasn't sure what. And I was very fortunate to get that email from that connection. You also started working at Queen's as an analyst for their women's basketball team. How did that develop? I did. Yeah. So that was pretty much a cold email just to the Queen's women's basketball team. I had a connection to one of the assistant coaches there, Wumi, through one of my friends from undergrad, but it was mostly just a cold email to them just saying that I'm interested in sports analytics work and that I always have been. And it's not something I did during any of my uh, my degrees, but I wanted to get into that field. And so that was something that just came very naturally. Uh, Coach Claire and Coach Wumi were both very open to the idea of bringing me in and having me in practices and games and working with data a little bit more with regards to their team and try to increase the, the success and performance of their team using some data, which has been a great experience for me. Heather and Anthony, how early did you start thinking about your next steps when you were in your PhD? I guess I was kind of early. It was probably like third year PhD, again, goal focused and and really looking at the end objective. And there I had been kind of fostering a relationship with my current supervisor, Dwayne, since I had started my analyst position at the Institute, same time as my PhD. So that was kind of ongoing, but I was looking around as well. But also in that third year, I was fortunate enough to have my first academic job interview. And so even though like that didn't turn out, it was still a huge learning opportunity that gave me a little bit of excitement to keep looking and to seeing what other opportunities could be there. So I don't know if early is necessarily always better, but I do think that, like we mentioned earlier, those deadlines sneak up so, so quickly that uh, it's better if you can get kind of head start on at least some sort of postdoc or PhD funding proposal or grant application to get it in on time and, and start off nicely in the program. I would echo what Heather said, kind of looking early, but I would say I probably never stopped. I think one of the big questions in your PhD is you go into it thinking this is really exciting. I really want to do this research. And then at some point you're like, what am I going to do after this thing? And I'd still have that thought now. I don't know what I'll do when I grow up. I have better ideas than I I think I used to. So for that reason, I've always just kept my eyes open. And I think that's how I've operated for doing a master's and things like that. There are certain areas I'd like more effort, so more to do. So I spend more effort looking there, but I'm always looking for what opportunities are there and what's my alignment with the positions that maybe are being posted. My current position was posted on Twitter and I just had my eyes open in the right spot at the right time and and applied. We've discussed this a little bit earlier, but I think it perhaps might not get discussed enough. And so I want to dig into it at least a little bit more. And as Rob mentioned, and I think Heather did as well, I recall very distinct differences and changes in expectations in either the workload and transitioning between undergraduate masters and doctoral degrees. So I haven't finished my PhD yet. So Heather and Anthony will be leaning on you for some insight on transitioning from a PhD to a postdoc. But to start with Laura and Rob, and Rob, you've discussed this a little bit. So we'll start with Laura. What were some of the biggest differences that you experienced between your undergraduate and your master's? So I think the first thing is that it's very, at least in my case, self-driven. Rob mentioned before, and your undergrad, you're going from class to class, finishing one project at a time. But in your master's, it really is a longer haul. And there's not really those milestones set out for you from the start. You kind of have to set them out yourself or work with your supervisor to set them out and things like that. So I think it can be hard to stay on top of and stay motivated, given that it's very self-driven. 
Staying with you again, Laura, what was the transition like to industry and what were some of the maybe biggest differences between grad school and the demands of your current job? Yeah, that's a good question. I think working in industry is very interesting to be around a lot of people that come from very different backgrounds. I'm used to being in a lab, even after I graduated my master's, I went to work in another lab. So I think finding that work-life balance after grad school has, has been difficult for me. I think I was, as Heather spoken to, I was very driven um, and goal-oriented and worked um, a lot. So working on finding that work-life balance now in industry has been, I think, one of the bigger things that I'm working on. Rob, how is your transition to industry? I enjoyed it. It's definitely different going from working on a research project to now working with clients and people that are paying for a service that you provide. And so that's what I'm finding is the biggest change is that if I incorrectly calculated a value on my research, you know, I had X amount of time to go and fix it. And, you know, it it wouldn't have been in my final thesis anyway. But if I'm incorrectly displaying a metric to an athlete that comes into the lab, it's a little bit bigger of an issue. And so it's, it ends up being a point of organization and attention to detail that is not more or less, it's just different in industry than it was during my research. Turning to you, Heather and Anthony now, we'll start with what were some of your biggest differences that you experienced between first your master's and your PhD? The master's to PhD transition, the first thing for me was actually more of an institutional difference. I feel like that's something uh, we tend to forget across Canada. There's all these different sizes of schools. And so I came from a smaller department when I was at Dow, uh, the health and human performance department. There was probably, I don't know, like 20 or 30 of us as grad students. And then when I went to York as a kid in health science department, there was like 160 or something. And so I found that to be a huge challenge to connect with other PhDs just outside of my lab mates. Um, so one thing I'd, I'd say, if you're a new student, find the Graduate Student Association. And in the case that I was in, when there wasn't one, just start one and you'll make friends that way. And the other major difference was the length and timing. I've, I've heard everyone allude to this from undergrad to master's, master's to PhD. For all the runners listening, I'll make the analogy. It's, it's shifting from a 10K race to a marathon. You have the foundation, you have the skills, you develop those in your master's, but the program itself has to change and adapt to your new end goal. And what about from your PhD to the postdoc? <laughs> That's still happening, to be honest. Um, I don't think that the transition's ever this definite point in time. So I, I think I'll still be doing that for a while. Uh, the finishing of a PhD on its own takes a big toll. I think most people will agree to that. And when you complicate it with the global pandemic, health concerns, and just curveballs of life, it's it's tough to come out the other side feeling really accomplished and great. Like So I'd say some of the things that I've found as key in the transition is the autonomy that is both a, a welcoming piece and a challenging piece of the postdoc. So it's it's fantastic to work at your own pace and to dive into whatever different research questions you want, but that can be very challenging to stay on track. So you can have a good mentor or some colleagues who can try and get you back in, in the right direction to uh, accomplish some of those goals. That's always helpful. Before we started recording, you mentioned that you started at Stanford about six months ago now. So you're probably similar to Heather are still working through that transition. But what has that been like so far for you? It's been interesting. I think it's similar to what Heather described. At the beginning, we said that often a postdoc is a grant given to you and do the grant that your supervisor has. And that's not the environment that I have been in either. And so it's been interesting to just find 
what I'm going to work on exactly has been one of the, the biggest things. And to me, it's a bit different than my PhD in part because I actually did my master's and PhD at the same location. So opposite of Heather. So I kind of did my master's, figured out what I was doing. And my PhD was like the logical next step and building on those things. Whereas this is a little bit of the logical next step, but also finding the right thing to do with the new environment and new collaborators and whatnot. But for me, the biggest thing is identifying my place in the system and what I can do to have the biggest impact for myself as well as the group I'm around for the time that I'm here. And so you've all graduated now from great biomechanics programs, and I'm sure you left with a strong toolbox of technical skills and research skills, along with other soft or professional skills. So how have the skills or some of the knowledge that you acquired in your grad programs helped you in your current position? We'll start with you, Anthony. I think the biggest thing that I had done in my previous work that's helped me here is is just being cross-disciplinary. I went into more biomechanics lab and we were starting to do more imaging when I got there. And I was really interested in that. And then I got quite interested in more stats and machine learning stuff. And so quickly reading up to date on some new topic and identifying a new way we could integrate that with another field was something I love doing. And I think it's kind of what I, I think I'm doing here and what I'm enjoying doing. I'm part of three different lab groups, one that focuses more on biomechanics, one more on machine learning, and one more on imaging and taking a little bit from each one and finding the best spot is what I love doing and what I think part of my skill is and what I've enjoyed doing here. I agree with that 100%. You know, I came into my master's and I was intent on doing a biomechanics master's and we were looking at really biomechanics topics individually. And when I was there, I got a lot of exposure to motor control and neuromechanics and these different disciplines that were in the same building that allowed me to get a bigger understanding of the field that we're in. And so that has helped me in my current job because I came in as a biomechanist, but we've actually recently changed my title to sports scientist because I realized and what I want out of my career is is to not be pigeonholed into that one title there. And so the work that we're doing at the performance lab and what I wanted out of my career is much more broad and all that developed during my, my master's degree. Laura? So in my master's, I was really fortunate enough to work with an industry partner. I think that was a big help for me, learning how to talk to a number of different stakeholders in a project that aren't biomechanists or specialists in your area. So that was definitely a skill that I really appreciate learning there. And then also after when I was doing research at the University of Massachusetts, I was also working with industry partners. So that was big. And then, yeah, just learning, I think the soft skills like time management and project management, working in industry now, running the lab at Puma, it's very, very fast paced. It's definitely one of the other big changes is someone will say, I need results in two weeks, which is crazy going from masters where we've all been touching on how long those projects can be to the quicker ones in industry. But I think doing my masters really set me up for project management, time management skills to stay organized. I think echoing a lot of what's already been said there, I and mean, it's interesting, Laura, that you picked up on the communication pieces and, and working with different stakeholders. That was, I think, something that bringing in the health psychology certificate in with biomechanics provided me this unique opportunity because I actually took courses in qualitative research methods and other statistical methodologies. So rather than just focusing on the typical kinematic kinetic analyses that we know in biomechanics, I had this appreciation of these other methods that I'm not going to be an expert in, but I could maybe start to communicate with those different disciplines so that I could answer the different questions that I was going to have related to injuries and workplaces. 
It also was important, as I'm seeing now in talking with stakeholders, like we communicate very well within the biomechanics world. But then when it comes to speaking with someone who's, let's say, at a workplace or health and safety professional, it was challenging to kind of then switch off the researcher mode and then come back to a different type of communication. So I think that was kind of some of the helpful things that I gathered in those degrees. Now, Heather, it's my understanding that you're also teaching an undergraduate course right now. And we've heard from other guests that graduate school didn't entirely prepare them for the time and the effort that was involved in preparing and teaching a course. So what has this experience been like for you? And do you think a larger focus on teaching at the PhD level or even more academic workshops at events like conferences could potentially ease this transition? I guess I'll first say it's probably dependent on what someone's interest in. If you're purely interested in research and you don't really want to be a teacher, then I would say foster that realm. For me, teaching is probably one of my favorite aspects. I, I do absolutely love it. Students are, for the most part, generally curious. They want to listen. They want to take time to learn from you. And it's, it's kind of a mutually beneficial learning environment, really. And having that ability to shape those future minds is, is such a privilege. And I think we all could have a bit of a responsibility being in a university to equip ourselves with proper teaching tools. That being said, our, our programs don't have that. I think you're correct in that a lot of degrees don't really offer much. Um, and I think that that larger focus could ease the transition. I was fortunate enough, both at Dell and York, I worked in our, what we called the teaching commons. I think most institutions have some sort of similar setup. So it's a group of individuals who can help support faculty and TAs to enhance their teaching abilities and do different workshops. And so I participated in those, did the courses, but then also transitioned into a role supporting faculty and TAs on teaching strategies and developing learning objectives and different assessment strategies. So my advice would be to jump into any of these opportunities if you are truly passionate, and then that can help you shape what your next adventure will be when it comes to teaching. Because that's the other piece, the transition experience for me, like when you have a class of 250 students and that's just a part-time contract and you're also working full-time on a postdoc, it can be a lot when you're not well-equipped to get started on it. So at the start of the episode, I asked each of you what and where you studied in your last degrees. And we've talked a lot now about transitioning between these different experiences, but we haven't heard what you're doing currently. And so can you each tell us about some of the main things you're working on and studying at your current job or your postdoc, and what some of the next steps you wish to take in your career. And we'll start with you, Anthony. Right now, I'm currently working on really continuing the things that I've been working on in my PhD. Been lucky to do that. So integrating my areas of research interest, particularly to understand more about musculoskeletal health and really the performance as well. So the group I'm in now is called the Human Performance Alliance. And so we're looking at, can we improve human performance as well using some of our backgrounds? The digital athlete kind of being a common goal that we're creating. But using those things, in my view, it's moving towards next steps of running my own independent research program. And I think that that could occur in many different lights, but the tenure track faculty position is the thing that I've been viewing the most and clearly gets my most attention. As I said before, I'm always looking for all opportunities available. Um, and there are lots that are shiny and, and seem interesting, but my attention seems to gravitate more towards those positions. I've already applied to some tenure track positions, and I think doing that, even maybe before you're ready, is a good step because there's a lot of time that goes into those applications. And I think having written a research proposal and written a teaching statement, written the cover letter, written a diversity, equity, and inclusion statement, and, and all those things takes time and, and effort. And I think that having done it now a couple of times, uh, that, that's been refined quite a bit. And 
I think reflects better what I actually would like to do and makes a better product. Heather? Yeah, my current research now uh, with the postdocs, what I was funded to do, and this is supported by the compensation board, as I mentioned, was to look at the association between work-related musculoskeletal disorders and work-related psychological injuries. This kind of started with that link between biomechanics and health psych when I was in my PhD, even though it wasn't work-related per se that I was focusing on or the context wasn't work, I was starting to notice these relationships between like constructs like fear avoidance and human movement, so be that range of motion or posture. And so that's where it started percolating maybe a little bit in my head. And we see some of the emerging literature. We also see these burdens coming in workplaces where MSDs are still a huge problem. And then now psychological injuries are becoming more and more prevalent, add in the pandemic, return to workplaces. I think it's kind of a timely natured topic. And so my hope there is that we can outline what these two types of injuries have in common with respect to their risk factors and hazards so we can help occupational health and safety programs get the best bang for their buck, so to speak, like focus in on these main risk factors that can impact both of these types of injuries so you can prevent them in your workplaces. And then the next steps, trying to just keep carving this out, looking for funding opportunities, throwing my hat in the ring at different grant opportunities. And when they don't work out, learning from that and seeing how I can reshift that and look at other funding opportunities and to parallel what Anthony said, also looking for the job applications, looking for the tenure track if it's there. As I mentioned, I love teaching, but if it has to kind of take form in contract teaching position and then doing research as well, that might be very feasible as well. How about you, Laura? So I work at Puma now as a manager in footwear innovation, and I'm still relatively new to the role. I started just in June, but my role there is opening a biomechanics lab in our Boston office, which has been really exciting and a little scary at times because I was basically just given a room and said, now this is yours. You can turn it into a lab. So a lot of my first few months and still ongoing is filling that room with stuff. So it's been really exciting to get a lot of new equipment. And in the lab, we do test footwear. So lots of metabolic testing and biomechanics testing as well. So that's one part of my job. And then also exciting other things I get to do now is go travel and visit lots of our athletes. Track and field is pretty big on my portfolio of things I do. So going to visit Olympic athletes and get their biomechanics while running is, has been really awesome to see and really fun. Probably favorite part of my job. Is that why you're in Germany right now? Um, No, I'm in Germany. Our headquarters are in Germany and the innovation team is actually in Germany. I'm the only one on the innovation team in our Boston office. So get to make frequent trips out here, which is also fun to come meet with the team. We lost you, Laura. Oh, she's offline. Okay, go Rob. So I have two sides of this question to answer. So I have a professional side and a personal side. So on the professional side of things at the Performance Lab right now, we're investigating new ways to classify, assess, and evaluate athlete performance. And so some of the stuff that we're doing right now is involving machine learning and VR and AR technologies, just to really like push the envelope there and find those new ways to assess athletic performance. And then from a personal side of things, I've recently gained a big interest in skill acquisition and motor learning. And so I'm reading a lot of books and getting some more information on ecological dynamics and how practices are run. And that's interest kind of spawned through my involvement with the Queens women's basketball team. And 
So I'm looking to potentially combine that in a PhD at some point with some of the biomechanics work I've done in the past, but that's still a ways away right now and still trying to figure out where the interests lie before I start the journey of a PhD. At this point, we typically do a rapid fire series. And so we'll end this episode with a single question that each of you can answer and try and answer in one sentence or less. If you can't, it's okay. And that question will be, what is one piece of advice that you would give a current or a prospective grad student? And Heather, we'll start with you. Find a balance between the destination and the journey. Be open to anything that might come your way. Enjoy the journey. It can sometimes be a hard and lonely one, but there are usually awesome people around and great opportunities and experiences if you're open to them. And it looks like Laura rallied. So Laura, let's hear your piece of advice. For prospective students to make sure that you're a good fit with your lab and supervisor. That concludes our 10th episode with Laura, Rob, Heather, and Anthony. Thank you all so much for being a part of our first student panel and for taking the time to share your advice and experiences. In our next episode, we'll be discussing trauma biomechanics and safety systems with Dr. Cheryl Kenville from McMaster University. And remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen and please give us a rating or a review. Bye.